Welcome to the Jerusalem Lights Podcast with Rabbi Chaim Richman, whose goal is Torah for everyone. I'm your co-host, Jim Long, and now, Rabbi Chaim Richman. Ha-ho, shalom, Mr. Long, sitting right across from me here in beautiful Jerusalem. Shalom, shalom. We are in the, the, the part of Jerusalem that's called Ramot. This area is associated with none other than Samuel the prophet. The prophet, his tomb. His kever is not far from here at all. Right. And as we've been um, learning in depth in our Sunday Zoom classes for a very long time now in the book of First Samuel, um, Elkanah and Hannah, Samuel's parents are from this area, Ramah. And the fact is that this, this whole region is... Um, is associated traditionally with Samuel the prophet. Jim, it's really, really amazing to be here with you in the land of Israel. So many of our listeners have sent their personal and warm regards to you. People have been very happy knowing that you're here, that we are reunited once again. And uh, again, as we've mentioned, we have, uh, we have some, some uh, plans for the future for when you return to America, hopefully. And we, we're going to be expanding our format. We're going to be introducing video into our podcast. We're actually working on a new studio now altogether for Jerusalem Lights. But in any event, here we are right now, and uh, you have a front row seat for everything that's going on in, in Eretz Israel. And I know you're having a great time. I, I have to talk about Israeli traffic. I have turned my experiences into driving in Eretz Israel into into learning and teaching for me. And, you know, I learned this from Torah. I learned this from being around you, that, that, that God is speaking to us constantly. Through everything. Through everything. God is, if we're, if, to, to borrow your phrase, if I may, if no one will object, if people will open up their hearts in the deepest way, wow. they will see that Hashem is constantly teaching them how to grow. And this occurred to me in traffic today, because you know that I am, I'm surely tested when <laughs> when I'm driving in in Eretz Israel, and I had just gotten in the car. On my right, a man was getting into his pickup truck and swung his pickup door wide open. On the other side of me was a bus passing within inches. On the left side of me, at that very same moment, a man decided to cross right in front of the vehicle I was driving. This is life. This is life, especially in Israel. For those of you who have never been, and for those of you who have been, you remember, life is very, it's very elevated in the spiritual sense, and it's also elevated as far as uh, the abilities to learn and to grow. You're constantly being challenged. Because this, I was challenged. So you really found Hashem's presence in all of this confusion. Uh, I'm, I'm glad it wasn't outright road rage. Because no, no, then it would have no. Been Hashem like really yelling at you. That would have been the old Jim. Because, old Jim. because if I may borrow a word in Hebrew, Nachon, of course, I, I, I instantly said, you know what, Jim, this is life, and it is, it is life where you are. If you want to be, if you want to grow, in Hashem's. Uh, moments, you will be open to the idea of, of what can I learn from this? And it, I learned to, first of all, have peace of mind and to constantly expect being challenged 
when I was on the streets of, of this great nation, and especially this holy city. And I, I think that, you know, I don't know if I'm stepping out of bounds here by suggesting that as, as the chosen people, especially, it seems to me that you are challenged even more on a daily basis because it's part of your mission to be challenged and it's part of you to grow. In traffic or in general? Oh, definitely in traffic. <laughs> but, but Jim, everybody is challenged and no, everybody, that's I, right. I must emphasize and, and that, you know, the first of all, the lesson that you're bringing out of all of this is, is so beautiful and powerful. And everybody is definitely getting a message from Hashem all the time. And I think that one of the greatest challenges for people is, will they realize that? Will they look for it? Will they admit it? Will they be interested in listening and in, in, in picking up on it? Because a lot of people are more comfortable um, shutting down and not not wanting to see the message because the message is a challenge like you say and and Hashem finds all sorts of messengers and all sorts of avenues to approach us and that is the really the beauty of of life mm -hmm. and uh, absolutely um, we are um, given all sorts of messages all the time by all sorts of angels that we perceive to be bad drivers yeah. or, or, uh, or inconsiderate drivers. Or, and these are really angels that Hashem is sending us to. Well, the word, what does the word melach mean? It means a messenger, right? right Someone exactly. who's conveying a message, exactly. which can always be a teaching. And, and not to put too fine a point on it, I want to say that, that the, the difference I draw is that, you know, Hashem is always trying to get is reaching out to us constantly. And that becomes more apparent the more that, that one studies Torah. And what I, the point I was trying to make is that the fact that, yes, this applies to every living uh, human being, that Hashem is, is trying to interface with them in whatever way. So when I go back to Sota Brit, so to the U.S., there will be other ways because, because driving over there is just too easy. I mean, you can... You can put the car on cruise control and you can put you can get in the back seat while you're driving and look for loose change. I mean, that's how <laughs> that's how easy it is. But Hashem will find other ways to teach you and to challenge you and to make you grow. And I think that once people realize that it took me to my 40s to realize that, that this is all for our good. Every bit of it. Amen. Every bit of it. You know, Jim, this week's Torah portion, Tetzaveh is um, getting into the nitty-gritty of, uh, of the Holy Temple. And of course, the people that are serving in the Holy Temple are the Kohanim, who are the descendants of Aaron. The Kohanim are the lineal descendants of Aaron. And one of the things that's emphasized in this week's Torah portion is the special garments mm -hmm. that they are to wear. The Kohen Gadol wears eight garments that are known as the golden garments because they also contain golden thread. The ordinary Kohen wears four garments. I hope to speak about that more this week. But, you know, I want to, I want to go somewhere with you for a moment, and it's something that I, I, I think you and I can discuss because of your background in film and your love of film. Um, you know, there's this theme uh, today, especially, uh, but I, I've been growing for decades, uh, kind of like a, uh, a theme in entertainment, and that is the, the superhero. You know, it's, it's a type of uh, escapism, I guess. It's fantasy fulfillment. I guess everybody kind of needs uh, a superhero. So the genre is very, very popular. And, and by the way, Jews invented superheroes, if I'm not mistaken. That's right. Superman is the creation 
of two young Jewish boys. Was he patterned after Moshe? Or I, I, I don't think so. I don't think so. I'm going to get to that. And I also think that there, that there's a, a certain kind of um, reaction to to the Holocaust and to the generation and all, all sorts of things. So you know, the whole concept of these super superheroes uh, that have um, distinctive costumes and special powers. First of all, I mean, today, goodness, there are so many different superheroes that that are. Um, oh wait, I remember. You remember their names when they were on Krypton? Talk about Torah influence, Kalel, right, and Jorel, right. I always think of Ruel, but he wasn't there. <laughs> no, but I mean, I, I just, I remembered that part. Was the, was their names? The carried. suffix uh, L, of course, is yeah, Hashem's course. name. So the thing is, when I, you know, and I, I spoke uh, some years ago. I, I was teaching about um, the priestly garments, and I, I started off by talking about this kind of this comparison in a, in a way of the idea that one of the things about superheroes that people are very obsessed with is their distinctive costumes. And sometimes these costumes have special powers like the bat belt. I mean, I'm, you know, I haven't been up on superheroes the, the for 50 belt. years. Right. So I don't know exactly what's the latest now, but I don't know. It's kind of like a, a, um, some sort of expectation for some sort of a tikkun for, for humanity, which is basically what the Kohanim in, in the Holy Temple are, are all about. The thing is, some of these superheroes have like superpowers, right? Like, like superhuman powers. Now, the Kohen Gadol, in a way, is a superhero. And in a way, he is like superman in that he is standing in for all of mankind in the holiest place in the world, you know, making his making his uh, atonement and bringing about a certain kind of a cosmic rectification on behalf of all of mankind in the holy temple. And he's got very, very special garments. The truth is he's not, he's not a superhero. He's an ordinary person. And, but, but again, the, the garments have that kind of that parallel, but this whole, this, this whole idea of, you know, what the Kohenim are trying to accomplish in the holy temple on behalf of, of humanity and, Hashem's idea of like, you know what? I really want to stay around with you now. And I really want this to work. And I really want this holy temple thing to become like a model world, you know, like that. And everything that happens there is so significant, the offerings and the garments of the high priest, because everything that goes on there is, uh, is so powerful in the messages that it's driving forth for all humanity to understand what it means for us to live with Hashem in our in our midst, but the truth is, and again, the Kohanim are ordinary people, and the Kohen Gadol is an ordinary person. When you think about it, the ultimate superhero really is Mashiach. Yeah. Um, yeah. And this is what this is what people are waiting for, and this is what people think. People, a lot of people think that that the Messiah is like a superhero who can uh, go faster than a speeding bullet, can pass through walls, can who knows what, all sorts of things. And that's really interesting because it's not Jewish, first of all. And the truth is that even though there's a lot of cultures, a lot of religions that have basically kind of, um, I think, mistranslated, misappropriated, and then interpolated their ideas of Mashiach onto us, Culturally, the truth is that Mashiach, you know, is a Torah concept. It's a Jewish concept, and he's an ordinary person. He doesn't have supernatural powers, and it's really, really important to understand that. And so, first of all, Jim, I want to say that um, 
we certainly need Mashiach and we wait for him every day. And the world is in quite a state. And, and when I say we need Mashiach, of course, then I, I want to follow up on that and explain why. And thank God, you know, our podcast is not a news program. Because if it was, I would I would be so despondent if all we had to talk about all the time was the news, because it's so bad. Yeah. It's just so bad, yeah. whether here locally or and, and everywhere. And so first of all, Jim, here you are now walking the streets of Eretz Israel that you love so much and that loves you so much. And when Mashiach comes, if he comes right now, when he comes, you'll have a front row seat. And, and, and by the way, Jim, I know that you were some time ago, you were contemplating producing some sort of a documentary on this well, subject. And yeah. you even interviewed me to, to, to a large extent uh, to speak about the concept of Mashiach in mm-hmm. Torah. Yeah. And we know that the Rambam is very clear that the Mashiach will, one, and not necessarily in this order, will rebuild the temple, will fight the wars of Israel, and will regather the, the people of Israel. And is there more? There is more, and I also see you and raise you. You're going to um, amend that. I want to amend what, okay. what you said about does he build the, the holy temple? But so let's no, no. Let's get well, into he that. will do that, won't he? Well, or he will maybe oversee it. Or well, let, let's let's yeah. Well, let's talk about that. Um, a lot of people have the impression that he that one of his jobs is to build the holy temple. The truth is, uh, and I'm familiar with that section of Maimonides that you're referring to. But an, but an accurate reading of it, really, what it indicates is that if it hasn't been done yet, before ah. he comes, then he will see to it that it is done. And that's kind of one of the proofs that it's really him. I like but, that. And the reason that that's so important. It is important. In terms wow. of uh, the many, many decades of my life that I've spent working towards the accomplishment of preparing for the temple the reason that it's so important is because a lot of people, they say, well, you know, we're, who are we to deal with the temple at all? We're not supposed to build it. Mashiach is supposed to build it. And that's not really true. No. We are actually commanded to build it. A, a lot of us want to just sit back and wait for exactly. him to do it. He'll take care of everything. Yeah, he'll, he'll take care just, of when all Mashiach the problems. Comes, and this yeah. is, this is, this is uh, yeah. actually kind of like a distortion and a, and a, and a really frustrating kind of, um, um, just kind of like an elaborate defense mechanism where we're in it's, and it's a product of the exile and it's something that's just kind of chipped away at us for so many centuries, but it's like there, we're in this stalemate. We're in this, this kind of like a really uh, difficult situation, let's say politically or whatever. And so the idea is, well, you know, we can't possibly do this. Mashiach, Mashiach will take care of it. And, and that's, that's kind of faulty logic on two fronts. One is because it, it kind of like, um, you know, it, it takes away from the fact that this is our responsibility. And two is because it, when a per, as soon as a person says that, they're kind of like, whether consciously or not, they're ascribing some sort of power to that person. You're basically saying, well, this problem is beyond the scope of ordinary human uh, potential, and therefore we're going to leave it up to him. But so, but what are you saying? Because he's only a human being. Mm-hmm. So, so now I'm inspired to talk about this whole idea today, um, thinking that, um, here you are in the land of Israel, you'll have a front row seat and um, you're just kind of like jumping from that topic of, of the Kohanim and the, the Kohen Gadol and his special garments and the, and the conception that so many people have that Mashiach is basically some sort of Superman from another world who's going to live to, forever and who has all sorts of superpowers. And so I got a, a lovely email from John this week and John is serious about Torah study. And he was asking the following questions. He was asking, first of all, how will we know when he has arrived? 
Oh, good, very good question. How will uh, will there be a series of tests and a determination? He asked the, this question, and I quote: How does Hashem select the Mashiach? And two, how will we know when Mashiach is selected? So I'd like to, I'd like to try and relate to, to all of those questions, because uh, it's really very compelling and important subject. You know, Mashiach can't come on Shabbat, Jim, and that's why it's really interesting that the that the first kind of sparkling, shining possibility of Mashiach coming is Saturday night when Shabbat is over. And that's what kind of lends this very, very special atmosphere to Motzei Shabbat. Mm. That's why at Havdalah, at the ceremony, where we divide uh, from Shabbat into the coming days now, we end Shabbat, it's customary to sing about Elijah the prophet. You know, yeah. that's kind of like the time of Elijah the prophet because Elijah the prophet is the, is the, the harbinger, yeah. right? Did I pronounce that correctly? Harbinger. Yeah. Harbinger. So yeah. I, I did the same thing that I did with poignant. <laughs> so it's po- it's poignant that I pronounced Harbinger wrong, it but is. he is the one who comes to announce the arrival of, of Mashiach. And Saturday night is, um, like I say, the first kind of like um, sparkling of the possibility of, of him coming into the new week. And the interesting thing is that on a mystical level, Saturday night is the time of news. It's like, that's the time to listen to the news. And it's the time of hidchatshut, of renewal. Why? And this is, you open up your heart in the deepest, 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 deepest way. Because Mashiach's arrival, and this is, this is why I started saying, thank God we're not a news program. Because the news is so bad. But you know what? Mashiach's arrival is the, is the root and at the same time, the finale of all good news. It's like the embodiment of good news. And, and all good news that we that we like to share and we like to tell or we get excited about it it's all kind of like a a little bit of an of a um of a spark of the news that mashiach has arrived that's that's what we're the news that we're all looking forward to it's not it's not good news it's the best news exactly it's exactly so i want to try to relate to some of these questions about uh, in this this opportunity that we have now about um basic questions. How will we know? Who is he? And how does Hashem select him? And how will we know? So first of all, again, we had a wonderful uh, series of Zoom classes. And, and by the way, any of our listeners that would like to join us in our new series of Zoom classes that would like to receive the recordings of all of our previous Zoom classes, uh, you're invited to write to rabbi at rabbirichmond.com and we'd be happy to include you in the, in the new classes. And and send you some of these recordings. So we, we learned that, you know, Adam is basically Mashiach. This is a very, very powerful concept, right? Adam, Adam, the first man, his name is made up of three letters. Aleph, Dalid, Mem, mm-hmm. which stands for Adam, David, David and Mashiach. Mashiach. And that, that has to do with the, the, the whole kind of very special relationship on a soul level between Adam and between David. We're learning now a lot of, in our Zoom classes about David. And, and David, actually, his soul is irrevocably bound up with the soul of Adam. In fact, David was not going to live at all. And Adam had been kind of cut down from living forever to living a thousand years after the after the the sin of eating from the tree of knowledge. But you find that he lived for nine hundred and thirty years, because there's an idea that our sages talk about that he actually gifted seventy years of his life to David. To, to David so yeah. that David could live. Yeah. And the midrash describes how Adam was particularly 
concerned and even obsessed with David and wanting to make sure that he would live. And the reason for that is because they are part of the same soul, because Adam was personally invested in fixing the situation that he created. And this here again is the most beautiful idea about Tikkun, about rectifying something, is that the one who made the mess is the one who's given the opportunity to fix it ultimately. So first of all, the soul of Mashiach is really the soul of King David, is really the soul of Adam. But at the same time, it's kind of like a composite that contains a part of all of us. Mm-hmm. And when we are all found deserving and when we are all really, really ready for that, then that will kind of um, manifest because it, it's, it's, it's basically a comprehensive soul that is connected to, to all of us. Now, again, the concept of Mashiach has, has been so skewed and so um, kind of like uh, kidnapped, really, and, and just like totally mauled and mangled mm-hmm. by foreign ideologies, by other religions over the years. So, so I think the first thing that I would want to do if I had an opportunity to talk about Mashiach, which we're taking right now, would be to demystify the idea. Because, our, again, as a result of the exile that we've been in for so long, even the collective psyche of the people of Israel has been, has been damaged by some of these other ideas. We, we ourselves have become so disconnected from our own spiritual uh, um, principles that have been given over to us by our, by our prophets that you find a lot of people so confused. Also Jewish people, also Torah observant people, thinking that Mashiach is some sort of paranormal, extra-powered individual. And so the first thing that we need to say is that Mashiach is an ordinary human being, albeit a great human being, albeit um, a powerful um, and wise ruler who best could be likened to a, a, a person who really has the ability to bridge the generation gaps, like like uh, the prophet says that he, he will return the hearts of the fathers to the sons and the sons to the fathers. He's a person who has the has the power to to really sanctify Hashem's name and uh, connect all of, all people. He is a person who will shine through the sham and the hypocrisy. Of the world, and and his main goal really is the impl- implementation of justice, really. Yeah. But he does all of this without firing a shot. Mm-hmm. He does all of this uh, without firing a shot. Now, is he godly? Yes. He is he the most godly person that anyone ever imagined? Probably. But so are we potentially. We are. He is no more uh, a, a, a godly than any person would be. And this is so important because, first of all, he's not God. Mm-hmm. And this is part of the obsession in the non-Jewish world with, with Mashiach and his name and who is he exactly. And is it the first time? Is it the second time? And all this kind of, of thing that is not part of the Jewish experience and Torah. And the reason that it's so important to other people is because there's this total amalgamation of Mashiach and God. And that is not a Jewish concept at all. Mashiach is going to be the king of Israel, and he is going to right the world's wrongs. And like I say, he he has a, a job to do, and he has a job description, is to gather the exiles. It's it's really to bring Hashem's name to the forefront of the consciousness of the whole world, and he will see to it that the temple is rebuilt. But, but the most important thing of all, if I may say, and I really want you to chime in on this because it's extremely important because of your own personal history and your, and your own experience and knowledge, 
I think that one of the most important things that we need to emphasize early on in a conversation about the Jewish concept of Mashiach is that other religions talk about a personal savior and they say, oh, I need a personal savior in order to be saved. Okay, that idea is foreign to Torah. It does not exist. And Mashiach is not my personal savior, mm -hmm. because I will show you the verses throughout the Torah, which make it very clear that only Hashem saves, right. whatever that means. Only Hashem yeah. redeems a person. And so, and this is so crucial in understanding the difference between the Jewish mindset and frankly, the Christian mindset about Mashiach. We're not looking forward to his coming because we need to get out of here because we need, you know, some sort of, 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 um, uh, personal help or personal guarantee of redemption from eternal punishment. He's not even coming for me at all. He's coming for the whole world. And, and this leads us into the thing that you brought up earlier about the temple and the Rambam. He doesn't exempt me from any of my personal responsibility or obligation. So many people have this idea when Mashiach comes, he's going to take care of all my problems. Mm -hmm. Mine is going to go on trees. Everything is going to be a completely different world. And speaking of Maimonides, who is the great rationalist and a very, very great sage, he goes out of his way to explain that the world is the same world. The only right. difference is that the most precious commodity is the knowledge of Hashem. As Isaiah says, right. it will cover the earth like the water of the sea, and everybody will be united in the true recognition and thankfulness of Hashem. But the thing is that people use it as an excuse, and so many people say, oh, you can't talk about building the temple. Mashiach is going to do it. But, but you know what? It is a positive commandment for all of Israel to build the temple. And okay, I understand the fact that because we're in a certain kind of, uh, of situation with a geopolitical obstacle, so we're thinking, oh, how are we going to possibly take care of this? But as soon as you say that, you're already making it sound as if he has some sort of, of superpower. We're, we are obligated to do everything that we are obligated to do, and regardless of when Mashiach comes. His, his job isn't to come and tell us, okay, now I'm going to take care of everything. I'm going to take care of all of these mitzvot and you have nothing to worry about. His job is, is very, very different. And it has to do with, um, um, again, um, using the power that he has to, persist, to, to precipitate a worldwide spiritual revolution. And that worldwide spiritual revolution will bring social justice to humanity. And it will influence all people to serve Hashem with a pure heart. Yeah. Well, the thing that the uh, reading the Tanakh really opened my eyes to this concept. First of all, to put it into perspective, the word Mashiach is applied to uh, figures in, in the Tanakh as Koresh. Koresh, so was, was, Koresh was a person who, had a, a, who, who was anointed by Hashem for a particular task. Right. And this, this is where, this is where the, the logic of a lot of people will be completely dumbfounded. And again, it's what happens when you don't learn Tanakh. But in chapter 45 of the book of Isaiah, in verse 1, Hashem says, it's, it says, thus says Hashem to his anointed, yeah. to Cyrus. So they were talking about not a, a lineal descendant of King David, but the, a Gentile king who Hashem roused his spirit, stirred him up mm -hmm. to let the Jews return from exile to rebuild the temple. And therefore, in that context, in that capacity, Hashem basically gave him a messianic spirit of, 
of potential to be part of a historical process. He was by no means Mashiach. And by the way, later on, he just totally backslid and was a total disappointment. Oh, but, yeah. Yeah. but the idea is there's no intention there whatsoever that, that Cyrus is mm-hmm. the king of Israel or, or anything like that. And this brings up another, t- another direction altogether for us to understand, which is that you know, everybody is obsessed with a particular person as being Mashiach, mm-hmm. and they're looking forward to that, and they're waiting for that. But you have to understand that that individual is like the um, crowning part of a historical process that Hashem uses throughout history. Yes, he is a real person, but the but the process of of messianic redemption is the mechan- is the mechanism of all of history, which ultimately will be fulfilled through a particular individual. At some point, people will be so stunned by, first of all, the clarity of thinking that this person will present, because he will be someone who is completely steeped in Torah, both written and, and oral Torah. And the other thing is that he will understand so much about the human condition uh, because he will have lived in a, a, a world until he is revealed. I mean, he's, he could be walking around the streets of Yerushalayim or New York or L.A. We don't know. He is a normal human being born of normal human parents. But and, like, yeah. And it is possible, according to our sages, that he is already born and he's mm-hmm. already here. And it's also possible that he does not yet know. Oh, yes. So yeah. it's it's kind of like. Uh, <laughs> Otherwise, he, he couldn't even function as Mashiach. If he grew up with the knowledge, he was Mashiach. So because- what happens, Jim, to get back to John's email? Yeah. What happens is, I, I believe, is that this is um, <clears throat> something that Hashem will bring, up, will bring upon him, that he has such a fine sense mm-hmm. of right and wrong, yeah. maybe the highest developed ever. He will have that original clarity that yes. Adam had in God Eden before he decided to be tainted by this the, the, the experience with the tree because that's what that's what adam lost he lost that he lost that it, it, unbelievable no. he will be so plain spoken won't he the sages say that just as moshe rabenu did not reveal himself until he was 80 right. until he, later in life so too moshe could be a person he has no idea but you know what I think that he's 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 living and he's going through the things that we're going through and we're all going through things. And so yeah. some of us say, I got to get home and have my macaroni and cheese at six o'clock. I've had enough. I'm going to put my head under the covers and everything like that. But he comes to the point where he says, I'm sick and tired mm-hmm. and I'm not going to take anymore. Yeah. And he and he says, it's time to, to stand up like a man in a place where there are no men, as the sages say. A cursory reading of, of the narrative that tells us the story of Yosef, a guy who, who you could basically call a king, even though he was prime minister, he ran the country of Egypt. And of course, the, the world is often uh, characterized as Egypt, as this place full of idolatry. And what's interesting about Yosef, and we talked about this before, is that his own brothers did not recognize him at first. And I'm thinking that by the time that this person is in a an important leadership role in the world, either as a either as a prime minister or a president, we don't know. He'll be he will be leading people by instructing and advising, and there will be true wisdom of Hashem revealed in this person. Ultimately, the sages intimate that he 
will be recognized as uh, a great um, political leader, um, as a genius in bringing people together, mm -hmm. uh, and as the wisest man who ever lived. By bringing up Yosef, <clears throat> I must interject here that this is a, a good place to jump to another related topic, which is the Mashiach ben Yosef, right, because, right. because Joseph indeed is recognized as being part of the historical process of redemption. And, and here's where we get into this idea in Torah, uh, in, uh, in kind of like a, a deeper spiritual level. And, and, and it's an idea that some people uh, misuse and some non-Jews kind of run with it and try to use it in some sort of a, of a, of a non-Jewish context but the idea of the the mashiach of joseph is that there are two different tracks leading to redemption mm -hmm. and and this is how it works according to this idea that mashiach ben david who is basically the one that we're talking about in our broadcast today the right. ultimate mashiach is the is the precipitant and the representative of a spiritual revolution and it's all about uh, belief in hashem and it's like um, the war that he is fighting against is a war of a wave of disbelief that's going through the world, which we can certainly see today. Uh, and his whole thing is, it's about the victory of the spirit and of belief. Mashiach ben Yosef, who precedes the, the Messiah, the son of David, is all about, if I can be concise here, it's about well, it's actually what Joseph was. What was Joseph? Joseph is called by the Torah. He was called the Majbir, which means the provider. Mm -hmm. Even Pharaoh said, go to Joseph, and, he, and whatever he says is what you should do. And Joseph was dealing with uh, prepping, right? Mm -hmm. with, with the survival of the world physically. And, and, and how, did, but how did he get there in the first place? He was thrown in a pit. Right. He was disowned by his brothers. I'm wondering if that will will not be his beginnings. To and I say this because there there is this idea that that Mashiach will will literally have experienced every level from the depths of society all the way up to being this world class leader. And that's he will have David. compassion. That's that's the yeah. secret. I always I always teach everyone in, in our Zoom group. That is the secret of the book of Psalms and why the book of Psalms is to this day, the greatest um, weapon spiritually that we have because King David foresaw every person and he included in all of the incredible turmoil that he went through. He suffered more than Job. He suffered more than any person in history. Unbelievably, he never had a moment mm -hmm. of peace in his life. And the Psalms that he composed are a direct repository of the of the gauntlet of 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 the human condition, his ex, his own experiences, exactly. which translate into <clears throat> exactly, and he needed to go through all of those things because first of all, adver adversity brings a person closer to Hashem. Not because there's this idea, which is also a non-Jewish idea, that Mashiach has to suffer. That's not the idea, but the idea is that through all of the things that he went through, he became so sensitive to the needs of every human being. Amen. That's yeah. that's the whole idea of who Mashiach has to be, but but getting back for a moment to the logistics of Mashiach ben Yosef, the idea is that what Joseph really represents is the is our being part of our own redemptive process. In other words, it, it's like um, doing something on the physical level, initiating something in the realm of action, so that we are doing as much as we can 
to bring about our own our own redemption. There's only so much that we can do in this next stage, mm-hmm. the spiritual stage, Hashem's revolution, as it were, represented by Sheikh ben David. But for example, when you look at the establishment of the state of Israel and the whole concept of, of, of the Israel Defense Force and everything that Israel has to do in order to survive on that physical level, that's like an aspect of Mashiach ben Yosef. Yeah. Whereas, the, whereas the spiritual revolution that is required is, is Mashiach ben David. And those two forces are, are forces that Hashem uses in history. And one difference also being that Mashiach ben Yosef it doesn't necessarily ever have to be a, a particular individual. It can be a historical movement. It can be a, a period. It can yeah. be an aspect of something that's going on in society, whereas that's also true with Mashiach ben David, but ultimately Mashiach ben David is brought to the surface in the form of the actual descendant of of King David. And I don't think, am I far off by saying that that he will not be revealed until the the people of Am Yisrael, the people, the nation of Israel is ready to accept him? I want to directly relate to that right now. Okay. First of all, there's an interesting kind of uh, what appears to be a contradiction between Daniel chapter 3 and verse 13 and Zechariah chapter 9 and verse 9. Because the the verse in Daniel says, uh, which is a messianic prophecy, talks about someone coming like a son of man on on a cloud. Mm -hmm. And that bespeaks a very grand, very regal kind of, very otherworldly kind of entrance, right? Zechariah 9.9 is humble and riding upon an ass, right? Yeah. Not not the most uh, impressive uh, form of, of transportation, right? Which is it? They, are t- they actually t- are totally contradictory. And so the, the answer that our sages talk about is that it's, it's basically up to us. Mm-hmm. Both are true. And because the fact that he comes is a promise that nothing can ever change. That's Hashem's promise. But the circumstances under which he arrives largely depend upon our behavior. If we are found worthy, then it will be, then it will be pleasant and it will be it will be um, grand. If it's if we're not found worthy, he'll still he'll still come, but it will reflect our situation. So, getting to the exact point that you brought up, though, you know, uh, are we, um, uh, you know, do we deserve it? And when does he come? And do we accept him? So, um, first of all, it's it's not up to him. It's not up to us to accept him. He doesn't have to be voted on. He doesn't have to be. And this is this was one of John's original questions he asked here in this email. He said, he said, how, how does Hashem select the Messiah? First of all, how does Hashem select the Messiah? It's I don't I don't think it works like that. I think that that soul is pre-designated by Hashem, and that Hashem will signal to that person to as we were discussing when when he has the fortitude and the capacity to to shine forth. Yeah. Um, so we don't need to know that he is selected. We don't need to accept them again. Going back to what you were talking about earlier about the chapter in Maimonides and the laws of kings, he doesn't. He doesn't have to make any signs and wonders. Uh, my hope is that of all these various scenarios about his arrival, and when Mashiach is finally, like there's no question, is the one that is suggested in the story of Yosef and his brethren, except with this very very positive spin on it that the Jewish people may not recognize him at first is that the people of Israel will be so close to his level 
in intent and purpose and in being lights to the nation that by the time he arrives, it's they may even say, well, he's, you know, he's clearly one, one of us. us. What makes him so different? Cool. That's a very, very beautiful thing to say. I, I appreciate it very much. However, actually, the tradition is that when he does come, it is at a time that is really a bad time. It is at a time when people have given up hope. It's a time when things are so dystopian, so mm -hmm. discouraging. There's such rampant apostasy in the world. There's such a crisis of leadership and belief that there are tremendous extremes. Yeah, There are people that really, really, really believe in Hashem, and there are people that really, really, really wait don't. Minute, wait and then I thought you, you said we weren't doing a news show. <laughs> sounds, it sounds too, too much like a, little too a description of what's going on. <laughs> and then suddenly, in the midst of all of that, Malachi chapter three and verse one. Suddenly, the master that you're that you're expecting uh, appears. Right. So there's this idea. It's called Hesachadat. It means when everybody is just so totally not focused on it anymore and so totally not expecting it. That's when he actually comes up. And again, this idea of his tremendous extremes, like Isaiah fifty nine, chapter fifty nine, verse fifteen. There's like a wave of atheism. Right or Daniel chapter twelve and verse ten. Many will purify themselves, but the wicked will do evil. So it's like, again, it's like it's like we've been talking about the past few weeks. We're, we're all faced with this. It just seems palpable this choice that Hashem is is drawing the line, mm -hmm. and we all have to uh, to make a choice. But getting back to the to the timing issue, and and you know, I mentioned you know Daniel three thirteen and Zechariah nine nine about what is his mode of entry going to be and how it will be reflecting our situation. One of the greatest mysteries in the Tanakh, really, is another verse, and that is Isaiah uh, chapter 60 and verse 22. Uh, a little expression in the end of this verse. It says, I am Hashem. In its time, I will hasten it. Be'ita achishena, which is a total contradiction. This is talking about the arrival of Messiah. And he's saying, in its time, I will hasten it. But what does that mean? Because in its time is referring to the template, the default, that there's a default that Hashem promised that he's going to come. And if he doesn't, if, and if he doesn't come uh, before then, this is when he must come. That's, that's in his time. It's the prearranged pre time. But then there's another idea of I will hasten it, which means that he could come before that. Right. He could come before that. In other words, it, it doesn't have to be at that last possible moment of the default of the, of the default um, selection. Meaning again, that it's dependent upon us. If we are found deserving, then it will it will happen much much happier, basically much much quicker. And basically, it means if we are doing our work, yeah. if we are doing our work again to make this world into what it should be, to make ourselves shine forth also with with the divine presence, then that is um, the going to be the result of it is that he's going to he's going to come earlier. But his whole thing is he will definitely make huge changes in the world in terms of the cessation of war and the right, all of those verses in Isaiah about no nation will, 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 will wage war against any nation, people's understanding of Hashem. And it's about justice and it's about, it's about fixing justice in the world really. And it's about uh, bringing people together and coming up to Jerusalem and recognizing Hashem. But again, one of the most important things, Jim, like we said, and, and I, we can't say it loud enough. And that is, um, the difference between the Torah's conception of the messianic process and, and, the, and the goal of Mashiach in the world, 
And that, and the idea that some, some people have, which is not a Torah concept, that this is my personal savior that I need in order for my soul to be saved. No, that is not Torah. And that doesn't appear in Torah. I, my soul will be, I'm doing air quotes here. I wish everyone can see it saved because it's just such, such a not Jewish expression, meaning I will be reunited with Hashem. My soul will live forever. My soul will, be, will receive what it needs to receive from Hashem. If I listen to Hashem's voice, mm-hmm. if I make the right choices, if I stand in, in, in the face of evil and I do the things that I have to do by, by being the person that Hashem wants me to be, that's, that's redemption on a personal level, but that's not connected in any way to Mashiach. And the, so the non-Jewish idea is that somehow this Mashiach, I guess, is some sort of a God, some sort of a form of God, a part of God, which is absolutely an idolatrous notion in, in, in Torah, right? right. That right. he will somehow um, redeem me. He will be my personal savior. And I have to now believe in him and and that all that stuff is absolute paganity in a, in a Torah mindset. And again, look at look at Isaiah fifty six one, where Hashem says, "My salvation is soon to come." Look at Isaiah forty seven four. Drum roll, where Hashem said, where the verse says, "Our Redeemer, whose name is Hashem." Right, uh, chapter forty nine and verse seven. The job of Mashiach is not to fill in for Hashem and not to be an avatar for Hashem. And, and uh, so this is also so important because this is a completely different conception of, of who this person is. And, and you know what? Maimonides also teaches us, and it's so amazing. He says, you know, it's not good for a person to be obsessed with Mashiach. And, to be, and yes, we are commanded to wait for him every day. It's extremely important mm-hmm. for us to show that we believe in Hashem's promise that he's going to, that he's going to come. But, you know, there's a whole cottage industry that some, that some uh, different kind of, um, I hate to use the word religion, that some have about calculation. Oh, yeah. Oh, my goodness. You know, books that have been written, dozens and hundreds of books. I, I fell I you know, prey to that myself back in right, the 80s. Right. I mean, I mean someone yeah. wrote a famous book about why, why JC has to return by 1970 and all sorts of, I don't know if he ever showed his face in public after 1970. <laughs> There's so many different calculations that people have. And I'm the first one who understood the book of Daniel. I'll tell you well, what it means. And there have been times historically in the past, even in this country, where people thought uh, that that he was arriving. And, I mean, you can go back in history and they literally went to mountaintops. They sold their houses, yes. their clothes, because they thought it was it was the time and his arrival was imminent. And they went out in the country and waited and I don't know what their lives were and like. There after have been that. there have been very unfortunate yeah. historical incidents in in Jewish history of false messiahs. Yeah. It's a phenomena, which also that, was a product of of the tremendous burden of the exile and the tremendous persecution that the Jews were you know were were um, living with, and so mm-hmm. the, you know their anticipation grew to such an extent. And I think that the the Torah and the Torah concepts about Mashiach that we see that are embedded in the, in the lives of Yosef and David and even Moshe Rabbeinu really show us one clear point that we can, we can depend on. Uh, Mashiach will not arrive by saying, I am Mashiach. I think we can depend on that. That's an acid test because having been involved with Torah and, and my, my uh, I will call her the man that fathered me in the Torah, Vendel Jones of blessed memory is that when I, when I worked with him, we got so many emails 
Well, when that came before that, it was uh, faxes. Remember them about people who knew the Mashiach was or they were claiming to, to be Mashiach. I was going to say, this is such a relief for me to hear that that he's not going to have to say that because I'm full of emails now. I can't I can't get to the people that I want to get to in my inbox because of all the declarations that are people that are Mashiach and all the curses that are upon my head because I'm not answering the fellow in, in Cyprus who wears a red T-shirt and all the other people who are telling me that they're Mashiach. Or the rock Mashiach. and roll drummer who claims it. I, right. It's right. That, on there's and on. that one too. There's, yeah, yeah. That, there's that one. So you know him too? I know of him. He's trying to contact <laughs> oh, okay. me. Okay. I don't know what I was supposed to do for him, but anyway, that's another story. Maybe another show. Who knows? Oh, man. So the thing is, though, that that uh, the, the Rambam explains to us, he says, he says, let it go. He says, These, this concept um, does not bring a person closer to Hashem, does not increase a person's love or fear of Hashem. He says, you have to anticipate the Mashiach's coming, but you have to, you have to just you know, um, do Hashem's will, do his mitzvot and anticipate with simplicity and go about your, your life. And, and you cannot become uh, obsessed. It's, it's so amazing in the, in the deeper, you know, more, uh, more um, esoteric inner literature of, of the Torah sages. Yes, there are all sorts of descriptions and there are all sorts of things, but we just don't go there. We just don't go there because it's not, really relevant to my obligation as a Jew today to help another person to sanctify Hashem uh, and, and, to, and to be a good person. And, and th that's the thing about all these calculations is that, first of all, it's very distracting from what you have to do in the world. Second of all, it is going to set up for a lot of disappointment if it isn't, if it isn't the case. And third of all, it's, it's really not the way of, of Torah. Well, first of all, you're setting yourself up for potential. Not, I'm not saying, but there's, there's disappointment in that because it almost, even though, yes, you just said it, we are supposed to be always expected of Mashiach, but you can't turn that into almost a kind of, uh, shall I say, a religion almost? I mean, obsession. Where, exactly. Where the is don't be obsessed. What it means to wait for Mashiach is to wait with perfect faith and simplicity. Amen. And 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 anything else is a type of wild self indulgence, and all forms of self indulgence have to be have to be uh, shunned, you know, because it's, that's not the, the the way of really just the middle path of serving Hashem in this world. And Hashem is the Savior. Hashem is the Redeemer. And Mashiach has a very very specific job in this world, and that has to do again with the revolution of social justice of bringing people. Uh, close to Hashem, of uniting the whole world, and he will oversee the rebuilding of the temple if it hasn't been done. He will. He's basically the restoration of the dynasty of, of, of David. Um, and uh, there are other details that the Talmud talks about, about restoring this, the, the, the system of offerings in the Holy Temple and the sabbatical year and, and uh, different uh, details like that. But the, but the main thing on the global level is to cause the entire world to return to Hashem. Amen. Uh, and uh, that's the idea that uh, Isaiah says, it shall come to pass in the end of days that the mountain of Hashem's house shall be set above, above all the other mountains and lifted high above the hills and all nations shall come streaming to it. Many people shall come and say, come, let us go up to God's mountain to the house of Israel's God. He, meaning the Mashiach, will teach us of his ways and we will walk in his paths. And that's that's the whole thing right there. Well, I, I hope we answered. Is, was it Michael? John. Jo John, I'm sorry. I hope we answered John's question. And I would like to mention, I think we have 
in the past, but not often enough that if you've got a, a question you want to ask us in, in the frame of it's a, a possible show that we could do about around your questions, you know, we, I'd like to encourage people to, to write to us because that was a, that was a great question. And it's, it, it, it fueled an entire podcast and I appreciate that. From and John. I, I hope that we did it justice and, and uh, with, um, with the compassion and respect and understanding that the topic uh, really um, deserves and that our listeners deserve, you know, because there's all sorts of opinions and there's all sorts of experiences that people have been through and that are going through. And uh, if, if I speak, uh, especially about this topic in, in a harsh way at all, if it sounded any of any of the things that I had to say uh, as being critical or, or uh, of coming from a place of, um, of any sort of um, angst, well, th that's because there is a, we have a lot of uh, bitter experience uh, under our belt of yeah. things that we've been through as a nation and, and the persecution that we've been through as a nation because we have rejected uh, basically a, a pagan spin of this authentic Torah concept. And we have been forced throughout the generations to, to accept something which is basically tantamount to a, a denial of Hashem himself because, right. because Hashem has no beginning and he has no end and a human being is a human being. And uh, you can't make a, a mix of all of that. And that's uh, unfortunately what's happened in history as far as uh, the, this concept that has basically been uh, totally... Um, Mishandled. Mishandled. Yes, yes, exactly. Okay. I got to tell you one interesting point that about the Parsha that I just found fascinating, and it has nothing to do with our previous discussion, that the I was reading about the vestments of the Kohan Gadol, the high priest, and did you not know, you you know this, because you, from your former pursuits. Um, They're still my pursuits. Well, exactly. Exactly. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to characterize it in that way. But I mean, the point is, I was fascinated to find out that you could not wash the garments of the Kohen Gadol. Right. Or, or, or even of the lay priests. Yeah. You had, it was a special, we would compare it today to a kind of dry cleaning. And for whatever that's worth, I just, I thought it was fascinating that, that it couldn't be done that way. And it shows and, you the specialness of the garments. Too. It also shows you the incredible um, attention, focus, and zeal and diligence of the Kohanim because they're, they are working with the blood of the offerings, mm -hmm. right? They're, 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 they, they could be washed perfunctorily, but a stain that would not come out, those garments were invalidated, and they actually became the wicks for the menorah. The menorah, exactly, yeah, yeah. I remember that, yeah. All right, uh, I enjoyed that. Uh, Jim, I am just overjoyed to have you right here in uh, our undisclosed location where before we might as well, since you told our listeners where we are, <laughs> you might as well tell them. But that before we sat down to record today's program, you had a lovely lunch of uh, lentil soup. Once again, your favorite. Mm -hmm. Don't don't uh, stress that too much. Right. No. Well, it's but it was a very <laughs> Jewish kind of lentil soup. I mean, for the other the other brother. I know. I know. Hey. And, uh, and also, we surprised you with a uh, hot dog, a, a vegan hot dog on yes. a bun, yes. uh, which was not meat. And I think you enjoyed it very much. Uh, if you hadn't told me, I wouldn't have guessed it was that good. It really okay. was. So All right. we'll I just want well. our listeners to know that because yeah. I wanted to be an excellent host, and, and, and I'm so excited that Jim is here, that into his uh, Parva vegan hot dog, I added 
Dijon mustard and sauerkraut. And he had that with the soup in the classic sense of soup and sandwich, soup and which sandwich. is kind of like what you you and I are like. Just we like two yeah. peas that go in a pod together. Soup we, and sandwich. We go together like mustard and hot dogs. Okay, there you go. And the only thing missing from that hot dog really was a ball game. That's right. Watch right. Yeah, which you could have taken me out to. I'm sorry. We could go on and on, and we probably right. do. We probably do. So, Jim, welcome once again to the Holy Land of Israel. It's Thank so you. good for you to be here, and you do have that front row seat. I'm expecting Mashiach at any time to raise up and say, this is it. Enough is enough, folks. Let us focus now on Hashem and bring his presence into this world. Let's do that together. And that is what this is all leading up to. That is the default and it is coming. And we all play a part in that beautiful scenario. And that's the beautiful thing about this idea of Mashiach's soul um, being a composite, basically of the souls of all humanity. And when we're all doing our part and we're all ready then it will all come together without firing a shot. And it will be a, a spiritual revolution that will, that will <clears throat> assuage and extinguish the terrible wave of disbelief that is going through the world. And again, it's all about whose side are you on and taking, and taking a stand now. So I thank John again for the beautiful uh, email that he sent. And I, I hope that we have at least begun to scratch the surface of this very, very important topic, a topic that's important to everyone. Bless our listeners with a wonderful week of good health and good news. Amen. Shalom, shalom. Shalom.